Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. Welcome to Outbound Metrics, the number one podcast for audio case studies of outbound sales campaigns for B2B service and software companies. If you own or work for a SaaS company, digital marketing agency, or lead generation agency, and you want to generate more revenue for your company using cold outreach, you're in the right place. There's no other podcast that goes as in-depth into winning outbound sales campaigns as this one. And in each episode, we reverse engineer and deconstruct what's working right now in cold outreach. I'm Morgan Williams, and over the past couple of years, I've had the opportunity to interview dozens of agency owners, SaaS founders, and growth consultants on this podcast about how they craft high-converting multi-channel outbound sales campaigns. And this has given me unique insight into what's working right now in the outbound sales industry. That includes onboarding, how to find data and prospects, how to use multiple channels like email, the phone, LinkedIn, direct mail, voicemail, social media, and more. I've also had the opportunity to spend my entire 13-year and counting career involved in generating new business for a variety of B2B software and service companies, which brings us to today's episode. Look, if you're in sales, you know how important it is to have buy-in from prospects who are high on the corporate ladder. This includes directors, VPs, and C-level executives. Having a member of upper management on your side can make or break any deal, but the problem is that these people are some of the most coveted prospects at any company. Every salesperson, marketer, and growth hacker is trying to get the attention of these people. Their inboxes and phones get pounded with emails and phone calls every day. So with all that noise, how do you break through? My guest in this episode has found a way. Using a multi-channel approach, he's achieved 85% open rates and 40% reply rates from CEOs and CMOs at enterprise-level companies. His efforts generated millions of dollars in opportunity value. And in this episode, we'll step into his shoes and discuss exactly what was going through his head when he created the campaign. We'll do a deep dive and step-by-step look in, or we'll see exactly how he achieved success. This is a very in-depth episode, and I know you'll get a ton of value out of it. I'll see you on the other side. What if you knew exactly how to use cold email, LinkedIn, the phone, and other sales channels to get new meetings and customers for your B2B product or service? Morgan Williams is an enterprise sales rep that's obsessed with cold outreach. If you're sick and tired of fluff, theory, and general advice on how to sell to cold prospects from people who haven't sold anything in the past 20 years and instead want detailed, tactical, step-by-step instruction, this is the podcast for you. Each week, he'll interview salespeople, consultants, and entrepreneurs about actual outbound sales campaigns they've run with real numbers and results. Each conversation will be a deep dive into deconstructing a specific campaign's results, as well as the strategy behind it. You'll get the opportunity to peek behind the curtain and see what's actually working now in cold outreach. Welcome to Outbound Metrics. 
Will Wang is the chief marketing strategist at Growth Labs. Growth Labs helps businesses implement sales and marketing systems that not only brings them a steady flow of leads, but does so in a way that is cost and time effective. They are laser focused on getting results quickly. That's days, not weeks or months, and aim to be cost neutral within the first month. In fact, they only take on clients if they know they can deliver a 10x ROI for them. Will, it's a pleasure to have you on. Are you ready to dive in? Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Morgan. Great to be here, Ben. Absolutely. Great having you. So right off the bat, how does Growth Labs get results for its customers? So in a B2B context, there's a lot of ways that we work with clients. But ideally, you know, what it boils down to is we look at their businesses, their clients, what their messaging is. And we come up with a solution of getting the right message in front of the right clients at the right time and right, having the right sales process behind that. So we essentially consult on the strategy process. We look at, you know, how can we do what we need to do? How many leads do we need? And then we go and build the systems that they need to get those leads. So essentially just working really hand in hand and crafting the right messages with, with our clients. Got you. So getting really deep into what that client's target market is about, crafting intimate messaging for that market and building systems around that to get in front of their prospects. Yeah, exactly. So, and doing it in, in a way that, um, that helps them stand up and not spamming people. So a lot of the companies we work with are very conscious of the brand. So it's more about how can we provide enough value that we, it, it isn't our bad approach with the inbound mentality of, of value, uh, value first. Gotcha. And that kind of leads me to my next question of what makes Growth Labs different than other competitors. Sure. So for us, I think what makes us different is you know, I, I built the process mainly for ourselves, actually, back when I first started the company. We were trying to get clients for ourselves. And from my perspective, you know, I'm quite introverted. I, didn't, I had pretty thin skin. I didn't want to be seen as a typical door-knocking salesperson trying to beat them under the doors to sell them stuff they didn't need. So I wanted to approach it a little bit differently. I needed a way to scale the business. I needed leads coming in. But at the same time, I wanted to do it in a way that felt genuine to, to you know, my introverted personality and in a way that didn't ruin the brand, didn't get people coming back to me really angry. So everything that, we're, that we do is built on the premise of value first, being a friend, and just letting people say no really, really easily. Gotcha. Awesome. Productized pricing or custom? Productized. Awesome. And who is your ideal customer? So we, most of our customers, well, actually 85 to 90% of our customers are in the B2B space. If not, then we're, you know, in the B2C stuff, we do client, we do have clients that go after high value clients uh, or customers. We work a lot in the tech space. We work in finance a lot. You know, we do um, outsourcing services. So uh, for other clients, obviously, it's really not so much about the industry. It's more about, you know, who the company is, who their clients are, what service or product they've got, and do they have anything that makes them unique or special and how they treat customers. Gotcha. Just take like an, a holistic approach of your customer. Exactly. Awesome. Going into the case study we have for today's episode. So let's talk about like what industry is this client in and we can kind of dive in there. So this, I guess the best way to describe them, they're a bit of a hybrid business, but the best way to describe them is a branding and PR firm that services larger corporate customers. Okay, cool. And as a branding and PR firm, is there something like super unique that they offer? I'm trying to get at like what problem do they solve and what do they sell to their customers? Yes. Yeah, so this client of mine, they are amazing in terms of the branding piece. When they look at a company, they can really extract the right story to tell the brand about the business. So they're really great at that aspect. 
But being a branding and PR firm, they're not so strong in terms of lead generation stuff. So mm. um, it was a really good partnership because, you know, I'm weak where they're strong. They're, they're weak where we're, we're strong. So they brought us in to look at how can we get more leads to do this good work that we do. So they've got a very unique way of looking at the brand. The, the leader and founder and CEO of that firm has a long history in branding, work with some of the best brands in, in the country and in, in the world, but they just weren't getting the right traction in terms of new leads coming through. So that was a challenge we had to solve. Like, How do we get in front of their clients in a very competitive marketplace where there's many, many other players trying to do the same thing, You know, from the big end of town to the small end of town as well? And how do we help them stand out in a way that gets the leads coming through? Awesome. Who is their ideal customer that they have? Uh, they were going after mostly fast-growing companies who had received at least $50 million in funding. Otherwise, they were going after you know, bigger companies who are listed on stock exchanges. So the ASX, which is the Australian Stock Exchange, the New York Stock Exchange, and essentially companies with over you know, 100 or 200 employees. Deep pockets. All right. Deep pockets, <laughs> big projects, big work. For sure, for sure. (laughs) Okay, good stuff. So when you are starting this campaign for them and you're looking at, okay, I have these couple buckets of prospects to go after, how are you, take us into like your mind and where you're starting with this and how you're collecting these companies to prospect or you're finding them. Yeah, so one of the things I always look at is, is starting within the company itself. So we went through a process of looking at the work they've done, what other clients have worked with, what makes them so special, right? Like the exact question you asked, like what makes them so special? Because if you don't have anything that helps you stand out against anyone else, like it gets really hard. There always has to be some kind of USB, some kind of thing that makes you different, whether it's a results promise, whether it's a process you've got, whether it's the clients you've worked with before, there's got to be something that helps you stand out. So our number one thing is pulling out what makes them so great versus everyone else in the market and why a company that they're going for would choose them over their competitors. That was the number one thing. So we did a, a big session. We looked at their past projects. We had a huge whiteboard and we just stuck things up and looked at, you know, what can we talk about? How can we talk about it in a way that would get our market to understand very quickly that we're about branding and PR, but also at the same time, getting to be like, well, this is, I get it, but it's also a little bit different and I haven't heard this before. Awesome. So that was, you know, 80% of the work and, and probably 90% of the, the magic comes from that process. Afterwards, it's really about looking at the best clients in the past and looking at what industries they're in, what those clients look like to eventually say, well, these are awesome clients. Let's find other clients like them. Uh, So that gives us a pretty good clue in terms of where we start in industry, company size, uh, what type of work they're actually looking for. Awesome. What, um, so what was like the story around that when you were looking at what makes them special, the USP? So the USP that we ended up going with was a unique process and a unique client. So this was a nationally known client and the work was literally everywhere across the country. And the rebrand that they did was actually pretty spectacular. If you look at uh, what they had before versus what they did afterwards, it's, it's just night and day. So visually, it just made, it made a lot of sense. Big client, big reputation. Uh, and then we talked about the process of getting the brand transformation. So we created a case study around that, including the results that you know happened after this company had the brand transformed. And that was you know what we put together to go to market with. So we created a narrative and email sequence about the case study itself mm. to really use that to highlight why these guys are so different in the process behind it. Awesome. So people love results, right? So that's 90% is like front-loading that labor really digging into that company and finding out their secret sauce, right? 
And that last bit of work is looking at their best fit clients, like you said, and doing that kind of lookalike search. So when you were doing that search, how did you orchestrate that? So it was a pretty easy process of just going industry by industry. Now, like you, you actually know that you know, for me, 90% of the stuff happens you know, when you front load it. Like, mm-hmm. A lot of people start from the other side, but they go, well, what companies do you want to target? I feel like that's the wrong way to do it because everyone else is doing it that way. And you don't get deep into understanding what drives the people within those companies. Like you have to know, especially in corporate sales, there's not just one person that you have to speak to. There's potentially three or four. There's procurement. There's, you know, there, there's approvals. There's CFOs. There's so many different levels that you've got to go through. So you've got to really work out that process first before you go, well, what companies? Um, so you absolutely know that like that's front-loading the work is so important. But after that, it gets really easy. Like you just take a list of industries. LinkedIn search is fabulous for that. It will give you, you know, every other company that looks like them in that industry itself. There's industry lists out there that you can potentially buy and work off the back of that as well. I don't recommend buying lists for people within companies. We always build them from scratch. We buy lists of company names uh, to help us with the search of the company itself. Gotcha. So there's tons of tools out there to find this information, like you mentioned, Sales Navigator, LinkedIn, uh, these niche directories. But what really is driving this or makes this list powerful is figuring out who you have to get in front of at these companies, right? Or or you mentioned like C-level people or procurement and kind of knowing what drives them. Do you have like a couple lines about what drives maybe like two different roles in a company that you found? Sure. So for example, if it's, if any deals go past a hundred thousand dollars generally, and this is very general, it's different across different companies. Any deals that go past a hundred thousand dollars at some companies, they'll need um, approval from someone in the finance team or the CFO himself or herself directly. Then the issue of that is that they don't understand the product, or they don't understand the service, all they see is the cost. Do that, unless it's a cost-saving exercise, you've got to start at the other level. So it's really understanding who do we need to speak to first and mapping out the sales process. So the CFO does need to, you know, but we do need to have a conversation with her or him, but it's only later in the process. It's really figuring out, first of all, who's going to be the end user? How do we get them on board? Or how do we get passed down to both the end user and both the CFO? so that the approval process behind the money is really easy because you don't want to you know, go through the entire process and then get a no from the CFO. At the same time, you don't want to put your product or your pitch in front of the CFO without him understanding or her understanding everything else in between and having other people in the company backing you up. So it's gotcha. more, of a, more of a balance. So you're, you're making sure before you get started, you're mapping out the purchasing channel of this company. Right. Or, exactly. or in this industry, the types of companies you're selling into. Are you doing outreach to those people in those roles later down too, later on the road too? Or you're are you also doing sales, partially sales for this client, and you know that, hey, I'm gonna have to have this conversation down the road? Yeah. So we we don't really do the sales for our clients, but okay. we do the strategy session where we map it out together. So it depends on like it, it really depends on the product and service. Uh, for some clients, it makes sense to reach out to CFO and also the end user at the same time, others not so much. So it really depends on you know what works for the client and what makes sense in terms of the buying process. Gotcha. So doing this to strategize with your client on, hey, we're gonna have to go through these steps to get this pushed through. Yeah. So let's have the comment. Let's it's kind of like inception, right? Let's implant the story or the idea early on so that when it gets to the point where we have to have this conversation, we've already front-loaded the conversation piece as well. It's that kind of thinking behind you know the process itself. Cool. Love it. So you have this list of people to reach out to now that you've built by looking at what drives them, 
and you know using that to figure out who or what what drives the deal and using that to figure out what people types of people you need to get in front of at these companies. So you got this list. So now what where do we go with once we have this data? Yep. So when we get the data at the same at the same time as we go and collect this data as well, we, we start writing the sequences. So at this point, there's been no work on the email sequence itself. You know, a lot of people start with going, let's just go get a template and just customize and just send it out. We write everything from scratch during the research phase. You know, and then um, now that we've got the sequence ready, sorry, now we've got the data ready and the contacts ready, now we start looking at what do we say to these people? So now we start crafting the email sequences. At the same time in the background, we've got the tech happening as well. We never send emails on the primary domain. It's just something that we don't do. So we've got to set up you know, the, sub, um, the other domains, secondary domains that we can send emails on, get all of our emailing systems and stuff set up on the other domain. But it's kind of like the three things, right? You've got the data, you've got the people you're reaching out to, you've got um, the email sequence itself, you've got the technology you've got to set up. And if you have all of those elements working well, then you're ready to, to get the campaign out. Gotcha. So you're setting up your making sure your whole team's working together to work on the data, your market, your copy, and your tech, getting all that together. So when you're writing these email sequences from scratch, how do you go about doing that? Or can you give us some insight into kind of generally what these emails would say, kind of what, what you were going it, through? It really differs from client to client. And one thing that I don't like about templates is it doesn't have enough nuance in terms of you know, approaching the market. If you're starting out, by all means, use a template, but the clients that we're working with, branding is very important to them. If there's any issues, they'll get blasted on social media, especially if they're you know, listed on stock exchange. Branding is so important to them. So we've got to be very nuanced in how we try to approach the market, but not you know, spamming and not coming across the wrong way. I like to use a lot of humor in my own personal emails because we do this stuff for ourselves. Uh, so I use a lot of humor in mine, but for some of my clients, we just can't. We're just not allowed right. to. So it's really an individualized approach. I will say that in terms of writing email, you know, focus on the next call to action. So sometimes we don't even go for a, for a 30 minute phone call because that's most people try and get a 30 minute phone call so they can pitch. We just go for the easiest thing for, for, the, for the lead to do, which is either reply yes to get a case study or yes to like a 10 minute phone call. You're never going to sell from an email. The goal isn't to sell from the email. It's just to start the relationship, even if it stays on, on email start the relationship and get a response back from someone. So we start with the end in mind and we say, what is the call to action we want? Is it a case study, uh, a response to a case study? Is it a 50 minute phone call? And then we work backwards to, to write the emails from that point. Gotcha. So did you, for this campaign, did you do requests for a case study? So we actually did a bit of a mix for, for this one. So we, across the sequence, we started off with asking for a phone call first. And then we softened up the call to action to you know, just saying, do you want the case study? I can just send it to you. We sometimes test two different approaches or two different call to actions within an email sequence. Uh, it really depends on the client, what their sales capability are, if they've got the capacity to follow up with every single lead. Um, there's a whole bunch of different factors behind the scenes. Got you. So at a high level, what would this campaign look like? It's all email? And how mm -hmm. many touches do you do? So because they're going after such a high value clientele, was a mix of email, direct mail, LinkedIn, and also phone calls based on who's actually opened emails you know, a, a certain number of times. Gotcha. So that was kind of, kind of like a really big mixed campaign. Gotcha. So like, what would that, where, how does that, at a high level, what does it kind of look like as we move through the campaign, like those touch points? 
So it was something like, and obviously, you know, it, I can't really go into the real specifics of it. Um, That's fine. Because yeah. but it's something like, you know, three or four emails followed by a direct mail piece, tracking back to a phone call, depending on if they had opened the emails, uh, you know, which email they opened and how many times. We then schedule a phone call for the sales team based on the CRM data that we've got and based on the open email open data um, and then leading back to emails to wrap it up. So uh, we took a whole bunch of stuff and stuff into the mix um, and then trained the sales team on the LinkedIn side to complement what we're doing with emails. Got you. So LinkedIn was, it was more like not operating within the same campaign, but side by side? Side by side, yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Okay. And anything that you can't, I, I understand, you know, you have your... Yeah, this is for a client, so you can only say so much. But for the emails, is there any sort of high-level info you can give about? We mentioned the call to action, right? So that's great. Anything about like the opener, the pitch you kind of went into, like at a high level, maybe you know, give us some context around that. Yeah, so the opener again, it's it, it is very different. We believe in personalization a lot, so we okay. actually researched. Uh, so I've got a team that does a lot of research for, for ourselves and for our clients. And we research a lot about the branding of every single company we were approaching. So every single company we approached got a personalized opener, something about their brand, you know, some kind of mention about, hey, I like the way that your brand does this. It's something that we saw with our clients. Have you thought about this? And we've got a case study for you. So it was very personalized in, in the way that we approached it. And again, it comes back to mapping out, you know, how we can approach the market very differently. And what personalization within a, a scalable mass scaled campaign we can actually introduce. Gotcha. Okay. I like that. So because of like the economics of your client's business where they're working with, you know, they have selling large projects, large deals, you know, it makes sense to do more of the upfront labor and personalize it pretty heavily, right? So that's what you did in this instance. Okay, cool. Anything around what was sent in the mail, like anything that you can tell about that? Yeah, so the mail piece, we actually did something pretty interesting. We we did a mail merge direct mail piece. Mm-hmm. So we took part of the brands, you know, part of the, the the branding of the companies we were approaching and mail merge it into a direct mail piece that you know that looked pretty cool, looked really personalized as well. Personalization was really the key behind this campaign. And and that worked brilliantly too. So you mail merge their like their the prospects companies worked. Into the uh, kind of we we took uh, a few different elements of the prospect companies and we pulled them into a database and used that. When we went to print, we we referenced the back to you know specific parts of their branding, so it looked like this postcard was created just for them, which which it gotcha. was, but at scale. Gotcha. So you were sending a postcard and it was highly detailed because of the aspects of the company you brought in for the mail merge. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Moving to, oh, and one last thing, not really about copy, but just campaign-wise, I guess we can kind of get in this. How many people were in the campaign and how long did it run for? Um, so the campaign itself ran for about six months, had several thousand go through it, open rates about uh, 85% open rate across the email campaign and nice. uh, 40% reply rate wow. um, from some of the top CEOs uh, of, of the biggest companies around here. So it was a very successful campaign. That's awesome. Several thousand, three to four thousand, or yeah, about about three and a half thousand. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, that's great. That's awesome. What were some of like the responses that you got that were super interesting? Anything kind of like stick out? Yeah, some of the responses. You know, the best ones that we got was it wasn't a positive one. It was more like, 
oh man, I wish you guys had you sent this to me, you know, th- three months ago. Yeah. We just went through a whole branding process, a really expensive branding process. Not entirely happy with it. Would have loved to have talked to you guys three months ago. Great emails. Loved how you personalized it. Mm. Um, so those are awesome. We got a bunch of emails like that, which is awesome. Other emails like, hey, you know, I normally ignore this. I delete 99% of the emails that come through to my inbox. Wanted to reply to you. We're not looking for this service, but amazing emails. Great work. Best of luck. Those were awesome. And obviously, you know, the ones that were like, great job, guys. Let's talk. Those were always good, right? The positive awesome. lead responses are always great. So a whole bunch of those as well. And yeah, you know, made a lot of sales on the back of this. And I don't even know what the returns are on, on the campaign. It must be like a thousand X or something. That is incredible. Do you have a rough idea of out of that reply rate, how many people or what the percentage of people was was that was positive, positive as in furthering the deal or something? So maybe like a neutral yeah. or neutral and positive added together was about 68% from memory, something okay. like that. Uh, positive was about 40 something and then neutrals made up the rest of the 20 something percent and a lot of the neutrals turned into positives later on because you know incorporate it's 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 a timing thing as well so gotcha. more yeses than, than no's with this one gotcha awesome the the sequence you use so the whole the whole campaign lasted for six months was that from beginning to end it was six months long or was your sequence like several weeks within that six months and you just kept running it over and over? Our process, our sequence was about a month from start to finish. Uh, so we, we just kept, well, I mean, we, we iterated, we tested, you know, there's a whole bunch of testing that took place as well. So the sequence by the time we were done actually looked a little bit different to the sequence we started with. The campaign itself was about six months, but you know, we had, we're continuously pushing leads into the process. Just um, after six months, they just couldn't handle the amount of leads and the follow-ups and nurtures. So we switched it off for a bit and, you know, they, they just kind of nurture them until they're ready to go again, essentially. Awesome, man. I didn't ask about your typical deal sizes in, in that industry. Yeah, so mean? the minimum, as in um, before any real work gets done, a, a scoping session with my client was about $50,000. Typical deal size is about two hundred to two fifty. They landed one deal, a single deal from this campaign that was about $1.8 million. You know, multi-million dollar uh, results from, from this campaign. Awesome. Were, were most of the people you reached out to C-level or super people really high up? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so no lower than, than CMO or chief marketing officer level. Uh, we reach out to CEOs as well sometimes, depending on the size of the company, the structure, just to feel for the company. You know, some companies you can kind of get a pretty easy to tell that, hey, the CEO probably has no say in, in this stuff or doesn't care about this branding stuff. At other companies where it's more brand orientated, the CEOs definitely cared about it. So it was more of a gut feel on who we should approach first. But I, I always believe in starting at the top if you can. Yeah, absolutely. So that's awesome. So like taking a step back, you created a systemized way to deliver a highly personalized and customized multi-channel outbound campaign and to straight to the C-level, right? CMOs and CEOs got a really great open reply rate with people who have inboxes that are flooded, right? Mm. It's just an incredible example of how to get attention in 2021 and where I believe outbound is, if not already headed, I mean, it's pretty much already there, right? But we're getting closer to that. Smaller list sizes, more customization and personalization, right? Definitely a multi-channel approach. Anything that we didn't touch on about the campaign 
or like things you would optimize, maybe something like that, like looking back at it? Yeah, things optimized would have been interesting. I, I might have done a different direct mail campaign as well, just to test some things. The one that we did worked really well, but I always believe in, in, in lumpy mail. Lumpy mail is great if you have the right approach to it. So we mm. could have done a bit more that way. Email sequences, it took a little bit of testing in the first month to get it right, but you know that worked well. I think we could have tested a little bit more across different types of companies. I mean, we were going after you know companies with, with big budgets and everything like that, but at the same time, there's a lot of hidden private equity companies and we just sure. could have partnered up with a lot of them as well. So that was one thing that we, we could have tested, but the campaign worked so well, we just didn't really want to touch it because it was like this golden, golden goose, right? Mm-hmm. Besides from that, anything else to mention from this? I, I, I think you pretty much know that it's more for us anyway. It's so much more about quality over quantity. Gone are the days where you can spam 100,000 people and at least get some kind of result. Like that just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, it's all about deep personalization, deep research. Uh, it takes a lot more time. But I mean, if you look at it, it's almost the same time as just collecting a huge list and, and being lazy about it. Mm-hmm. If you're going to get results, especially if you're chasing the right numbers, you know, it, it really is worthwhile to spend the extra time understanding everyone before you approach them. Awesome. And when you mentioned um, looking after those or reaching out to partner with those private equity firms, you mean getting access to their portfolio of companies? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So not directly trying to sell off email itself, but just partnering up using the email as a, as a partner finder, essentially. Awesome. Growthlabs.com, G-R-O-W-T-H-L-A-B-Z.com. Uh, you can check out Will Wang and his company, Will. Great results. Great conversation. Enjoyed having you on. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on, Morgan. Appreciate it, dude. Catch you soon. Awesome. You have a good one. I enjoyed hearing about Will's philosophy of quality over quantity and seeing the results of highly personalized outreach. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening.